Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. The Box of Oddities is now a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest-growing, highest-rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to The Box of Oddities wherever you access your podcasts. But we hope you give CastBox a try. The curator is greatly pleased with CastBox. We think it's the best. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. You've got to find a new place to store your metal detector. <laughs> Is it getting in the way? Because I just put it in the mop closet. Yeah. It, every time I open the door, it flops out, right. and then I worry that I'm going to break it, and you're going to be so sad at me. Are you just mentioning that because I'm a nerd? And I have a metal detector? I don't think that that makes you a nerd. I think it makes you delightful oh. and a treat oh. to be around. It's fun. And also, I think you should share your uh, your treasure story. <laughs> remember your treasure? Remember uh, your treasure, yeah, though? Yeah, I remember that. Okay, sure. I'll tell that story. Um, Set it up, though. In, in Hamden. Okay, yes. Uh, we live in Bangor, Maine, as you may be aware by now. Yeah. A little suburb of the city of Bangor is called Hamden. And in Hamden, in the early part of the 1900s, was an amusement park. It went out of business, I think, in like 1917. But it was the place to go for about 15 or 20 years it was built by a trolley company to give them a destination point, make right. money on the trolley. You, there were alligators. They had alligators. In Maine. They had carousel. They had a band hall. They had all kinds of stuff like that. It was a big deal. In fact, uh, on the on the busiest days in the summer, it would have as many as uh, 30,000, 40,000 people there, which is remarkable when you think that the, the population of Bangor in those days was probably a tenth of that. So they were coming from all over. Anyway, it went out of business uh, right about the time of World War One. There's nothing on that site anymore. It's not even accessible by road. It's, it's right on the river. It was called Riverside Park. 
And so I did all this research mm-hmm. thinking, what a great place to metal detect. Because, right. you know, maybe not a lot of people know. Everybody I mentioned it to, they didn't. They, what? There was an amusement park there? Yeah, there was. And you did so much due diligence. You contacted people. You were like, hey, do you know who used to own such and such? Do you know who might have paperwork regarding this place? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I went to the city hall. I pulled records. Mm-hmm. You know, I did the whole thing. Got permission to uh, to metal detect on the land. Very excited about this. Yeah. I even found the original drawings, the, the plan for the amusement park, that was drawn up by a um, relatively well-known architect out of Boston. I had to go to Boston and get those plans. And so I knew where like the merry-go-round was located and all the ticket booths. And so I'm thinking, okay, this is, this is going to be great. I get my metal detector out there. I, I, I go out, I spend the afternoon, uh, hike into the place. And it's, uh, it's between like what is now a retirement community and a uh, an apartment complex, mm-hmm. but there's acres and acres of just woods where this place used to be. So I'm out there for about six hours, and I'm finding I found a couple of old coins and you know a lot of mm-hmm. bottle caps and things like that. I got a lot of live updates <laughs> during this time. It was magical. Sweetheart, I found a dime from 1970. Pretty exciting. Even though it had nothing to do with the park, it was still exciting. Um, So finally, I get this big major hit on my metal detector. And it's, you know, it it was a strong hit. And I'm very excited about it. I pull out my spade and I start uh, scraping away the uh, the, the, the soil. Uh Yeah, well, I've I've got one of those. Right, in, in the holster. I have a spade holster. So I start, I start scraping up the dirt, and I'm only down about maybe three inches, and I hit something. And I'm like, oh, and I scrape it all out, and it's a metal cash box. And I'm over the moon at this point. I'm thinking, oh, my God, what have I found here? But then I noticed that it's not really period authentic to when the uh, amusement park was, was open. It looked like something that I had as a kid. It didn't look like something that was right. antique. So something from the early 1900s. <laughs> So I took my spade and uh, my little pocket spade and I pried the lid open, all excited and just a Twitter with what I'm going to find. Oh, man. And what was in the box was a soggy pack of cigarettes Uh and several dildos. (laughs) Why? Why would somebody bury a box of dildos in the woods? It was the best day of my life. I mean, the cigarettes, okay, you don't want somebody to know you're smoking, whatever. But you got a box of dildos and you bury them in the forest? Doodaloo, sweetheart, there's so much cool stuff out here. Doodaloo, sweetie, I found a dime from 1970. Doodaloo, sweetie, oh my God, a cash box, we're in it now. Doodaloo. It's dildos. <laughs> yep. That's, that's about how it happened. Yeah. But I will not give up. <laughs> Still you rise. Still I rise. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. Ooh. So today on the Box of Oddities, I'm going to talk about Mango, the king of pickles. See, you say mango, and I think of that character from SNL from the 90s. Yeah, no, it's a guy who called himself Mango, King of the Pickles. His his real name was John Mighton, or also known as John Mad Jack Mighton. He was born September 30th, 1796. 
the son of noble squires, the uh, Shropshire squires, with a lineage that stretched back about 500 years. Where is this? In England. He was an English nobleman. Okay. And kind of whack. Well, this guy was nuts. Okay. You know, in a fun, fun kind of way. My favorite kind of crazy. I mean, he wanted to be called Mango, King of the Pickles. So there you go. When when his father died, his father was 30. Jack was only two years old. And uh, later in his life, he inherited their fortune, which included uh, the family seat of Halston Hall Whittington. The estate was worth somewhere near somewhere near about ten million dollars in um, in today's money. Wow! And it made about a million dollars a year in today's money. Wow! In pickles? Not in pickles. It had nothing to do with pickles. Okay. No, it was like a, an estate. They farmed it. They had agriculture. That, that they sort grew of thing. a lot of dill. It was about one hundred and thirty-two thousand acres, something like that. But he was an interesting guy, even from a very early age. When he was 10, he started hunting foxes. And he would go on hunts in any kind of weather. Um, His usual winter gear was just a light jacket, thin shoes, and linen trousers, and silk stockings. But the thrill of the chase, would uh, he would just take his clothes off and throw them in the bushes (laughs) as he was riding around looking for fox. So he would ultimately end up fox hunting in the noodle. (laughs) He was very excited about that, apparently. Sure. One time I bet he, you could tell. He, <laughs> one time he was so engaged in this hunt that he actually he broke his ribs. Oh. And he still continued the hunt until he caught a fox. He was naked, he had three broken ribs, and he was riding a horse anyway. Just because, well, he was a little, shall we say, eccentric. Even though he had the broken ribs, he was, quote, unmurmuring with every jar of agony. He would also do things like... Fun little things for his, like, stable boys that watched his horses. He had something like 200 horses. Oh, wow. He would stage rat hunts for his stable boys, but he always required them to wear ice skates. (laughs) 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 For no particular reason. (laughs) That's wonderful. He had put them on ice skates and send them in to catch rats. Um... (laughs) He had, I'm sorry, okay. That was the mango king of pickles. Um, he had a wardrobe of about 150 pairs of hunting breeches. Which apparently he didn't wear. Um, no, he threw them in the bushes. That's why he needed so many. He had 700 pairs of handmade hunting boots, 1,000 hats, and 3,000 shirts. This is according to Wikipedia. I also got some information from um, historythings.com. Now, he was uh, he was careless. He was reckless. He, it was said he did not mind having accidents. In fact, sometimes... He would cause them on purpose just to see what would happen. Like he would he would ride his carriage at high speed. He decided he wanted to discover if a horse pulling a carriage could jump over a toll gate. He found out it could not. Oh gosh. Yeah. That seems reckless. On another occasion, uh, he asked his passenger, who was also of nobility, whether he had ever been upset in a carriage. The man said he had not, and uh, Mad Jack responded, "What?" What a damn slow fellow you must have been all your life. And he promptly drove his carriage into a bank full speed, tipping it over and knocking him and his passenger out. Oh, Lordy. Now, I will, I do have to say, I don't think that the horse would have enjoyed that very much. And therefore, I disapprove. 
Yeah, he did a few things to horses you probably wouldn't approve. Like he forced a horse to drink a bo- like a bottle of port one time. Not cool. No, horse didn't make it. Animals don't want your alcohol. Stop it. So his family's thinking, well, geez, we need to send him to school. You know, so he he went to Westminster School and promptly was expelled one year later for fighting a schoolmaster. After that, he tried Harrow School. Uh, He was expelled three times for different reasons. After that, he was taught by a series of private tutors, but then he would just prank them constantly until they quit. The the tutors would live there at the manor with him. And he he one time put a horse right in uh, the tutor's bedroom. This sounds like the the makings of a, a silly Disney movie. So after many schools and tutors, uh, he pretty much achieved nothing. Uh, despite that, because of his nobilities, he, he, was, he was accepted into Cambridge. Oh. So he thought, Cambridge is going to be boring. I better take something to do. So he took 2,000 bottles of port with him to keep him sustained while uh, studying. Apparently, the university did not approve. Sure. Not a um, lot of storage room for that kind of thing. No, and uh, he uh, dropped out and decided he was going to travel the world. With his port? Oh, yeah. Fine, me and my port are leaving. Yeah, he had a bit of a drinking problem. Apparently. We'll get to that. He then went into the military. That was a short-lived career for obvious reasons. He couldn't take orders and he got bored easily. So he left the service and decided he would get into politics. Oh, all right. That seems right. So he wants he, he runs for parliament, and he decides that what I'm going to do is I'm going to pay people 10 pounds for every vote. So he buys a seat in parliament. It cost him about a million dollars in today's money, which actually seems like a pretty good deal. Yeah. So he goes to one parliament re, uh, meeting, and he's bored, and he just leaves and never comes back. <laughs> so now he's looking for things to keep himself amused. Sure. Um, he found several ways. He enjoyed horse racing and gambling. One time, his horse even won the gold cup at uh, Litchfield in 1825. Uh, as the story goes, in uh, 1826, in order to win a bet, Mango, king of the pickles, rode his horse into the Bedford Hotel, up its grand staircase, onto the balcony overlooking the dining hall, and then jumped the horse over the railing, over the diners, and through a window. That horse does not want to do that. Mango, you're kind of a jack wagon. He's a colossal jack wagon. Where do the pickles come into play? I, it, it, nobody knows. It doesn't have anything to do with anything other than maybe he just liked the sound of the word. I, I What? I don't know. Wait, are you being serious? Yeah, I am. He also would go to the park where there was a big hill, and he would pay children to just roll down the hill. <laughs> <laughs> I like just, that very much. <laughs> just to see them do it. I I enjoy that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. He would spend the afternoon just, you know, watching the kids make themselves sick for uh, a half pence. Roll, (laughs) children, roll. Sitting there smoking a cigar, drinking some port. That was his afternoon's entertainment. All right. One time he held a fancy dinner party at his his posh estate, and he decided that... uh, he was going to surprise his guests by dressing up as a highwayman and pretending to rob them on their way in. <laughs> they didn't find the humor in that. No. I think that you've you've found the uh, Victorian Andy Kaufman. <laughs> yeah, he is kind of an Andy Kaufman, for, for sure. He's a performance artist. 
It was said by his biographer that uh, he drank about eight bottles of port every day. Oh, Lord. Yeah, with brandy on the side in case the port wasn't strong enough for him. Sure, sure, sure. He never ate a full meal. Instead, he snacked on filberts all day, or he would eat bacon with farmers. I don't know. He just apparently, he just loved to share quality pork products with agriculturalists. Yeah, well, I mean, he can't eat a lot. He's all full of port. He's darn full of port. Port and pork. Port and pork and filberts. Port and pork and filberts. <laughs> In my a, head, there's a whole line of men singing that sure. while doing that weird, like, Mary Poppins dance. Yeah. Like, like with the chimney. Um, diddle, 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 um, diddle, yes, um, diddle, yes. Diddle, diddle. Port and pork and filberts. Port and pork and filberts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Pickles. What? Probably the craziest thing he did was uh, he held another dinner party. Apparently, he got people to come back after he pretended to rob them. Sure. And uh, they're all sitting in the in the dining room, actually the uh, the study before dinner. And he makes his entrance drunk, riding on the back of a bear. <laughs> that bear doesn't want to do that. <laughs> no. So he rides this bear into the study, holding a glass of port. Mm-hmm. The bear's pretty good-natured about it until uh, Mango, king of the pickles, decides that he should spur the bear. Oh. Just, you know, jab him a little bit to get him to go faster. Mm-mm. The bear turned on him and uh, bit him in the leg and then attacked his guests. Well, I mean, can you blame him? This was the beginning of the end for Mango. <laughs> it's just a wonderful sentence. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, He inherited all this money, but after just a few short years, it was pretty much all gone. Oh. Yeah. 15 years, he managed to spend his entire inheritance and then fell into deep debt. His agent had calculated that if he could reduce his expenditure to 6,000 pounds a year for six years, his estate would not have to be sold. But he declared, I wouldn't give a damn to live on 6,000 a year. So in 1831, he fled to Calais mm-hmm. to avoid his creditors, uh, where he met a 20-year-old woman named Susan on Westminster Bridge and offered her 500 pounds a year to be his companion. She accompanied him to France, stayed with him until his death. During that stay, he had a um, a severe case of hiccups one night. And so he decided the best way to cure hiccups was to set his nightshirt on fire with him in it. Yeah, I think that would work. Charles James Apperley, who wrote under the pseudonym Nimrod, was present at the event. Quote, Damn this hiccup, said Mighton, as he stood undressed on the floor, apparently in the act of getting in bed. I'll frighten it away. So he seized a candle and lit his sleeping shirt. It was a cotton one. It was instantly enveloped in flames. A fellow guest of Mighton's servant beat the flames out. He said, quote, the hiccups are gone by God. And then he reeled naked into bed. I mean, it worked for him. I guess, yeah. In 1833, Mango, King of the Pickles, returned to England where he was unable to pay his debts. So he ended up being put in King's Bench Prison in Southwark, uh, where he died in 1834, a, quote, round-shouldered, tottering old young man, bloated by drink, worn out by too much foolishness, too much wretchedness, and too much brandy. The cause of death was called delirium tremors. Sounds like he was detoxing while he was in prison. Probably. He was buried in a vault of the private chapel at Halston. Probably they had to put him in a vault, otherwise he'd get out, ruin something. Jump a horse over it or something. And that's where he stays to this day, as far as we know. As far as we know. Seriously, though, Mango? Yeah. King of the Pickles? King of the Pickles. And there's no explanation for Mango or the Pickles? Not that I have seen, no. No. Oh, Lord. 
I'll do a deeper dive on the research on that, and maybe I can come up with something for Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. That was fabulous. Upsetting, mm-hmm. but fabulous. Thank you. Like finding a box of human remains in your attic, but without all those nagging detectives and reporters at your door. This is The Box of Oddities. So the thing in the middle this week, it's uh, unfortunate drunk voicemails. this is one of our favorites we maybe you've heard this i don't know it's been around but we enjoyed this so much we wanted to share it with you it's dominic i made you tonight you're so cute oh my god right i hope you remember me you're so cute you hit it off right away i loved your shirt and i think you're so funny and i really like i've never felt that kind of chemistry before and we both have the same interest in yo-yos. <laughs> so you think that's funny? No one else like, likes yo-yos. Like, we like yo-yos. <laughs> remember, and I hope you remember. I hope you remember. Anyways, um, I know you said that tomorrow's kind of crazy for you, you know, with all that stuff, you know. Um, but I'd love to get in touch with you this week, next week. Anyway, just reach out to me whenever you're free. I gave you my business card. I hope you remember. I work at eBay. Ebay. That's E B A B A Y. Um, Ebay. E B A Y. I I think you've heard of it. You said you remembered it kind of. Anyway, Ryan, um, I hope you had a great rest of the night. You look so cute tonight in your little shirt. Your little shirt and your little pants. <laughs> um, I know you said you had to leave urgently. Um, I hope everything's okay. I get indigestion sometimes too, so I hope that, you know, you know, everything's good. But, um, hope you have a great Friday night. You deserve a great weekend. And, um, call me, email me, IM me, fax me, page me. You have all my contact information. Can't wait to hear from you soon. Have a great night, Ryan. And, um, I'll talk to you soon, okay? Oh, um, and if you need to get in touch with me, I'll be at Jamba Juice. So, you know, where I work, Jamba Juice, that's J-A-M-B-A, B-A, Juice. Juice as in J, like, um, like, like, um, J as in shoot. Oh, my gosh, you make me so nervous, Ryan. J as in... Jazz and juice. Jazz and juice. You as in Eunice. Like the name. Oh, I love that name. I as in I. C as in cat. Cat. C as in E. Okay? Um, so I'll be at Jamba Juice. Talk to you soon. And, um, yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Give me a call whenever I'm available. I'm single. You know. You know. Okay. I I love your little shirt and your little pants. That's something that we discovered years ago, and we still we still quote that to each other. I love your little shirt and your little pants. A little shirt and your little your pants. Little pants. Your little pants. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Okay. What's your topic? So every year, in every city, people die alone. Yes. I told you I should have gone first. This is <laughs> this is dark. This is heavy. Okay, go ahead. So there are no friends or family to prepare their funeral or mourn. But in many parts of the Netherlands, 
they've got a different way of dealing with these lonely funerals. A retired Amsterdam civil servant, Ger Fritz, has made sure that these lonely or unknown citizens get a respectful send-off. Ger Fritz. Ger Fritz. That's fun. It is. Let's say that together. Ger Fritz. Uh, more recently, he's been joined by an Amsterdam poet who, like Ger Fritz, believes that these people deserve more. So for 20 years, Ger Fritz, uh, which I misspelled here, and it says Ger Frost's, has been researching these people found deceased, elderly in their homes, uh, migrants in hotels, the homeless in the streets. Uh, he visits their homes if they had one and carefully chooses music to play at their funeral. Aww. He puts flowers on the coffin and accompanies each person to their final resting place. More recently, he's been joined by poet Frank Sterick. So now every Amsterdam lonely funeral includes a poem. The Lonely Funeral Poems were the brainchild of Bart F.M. Droog, if we're talking about amazing names. Does everybody in that country have awesome names? Yes. Because I'm beginning to believe that that's true. That is accurate. Um, Bart F.M. Droog is the city poet for Groningen in 2001, and his idea soon spread to other Dutch cities, as well as parts of Belgium. In Brussels volunteers attend funerals that would otherwise be unattended. And now there's a competition for the best lonely funeral poem written each year. It's a simple prize funded by the arts research program, um, The Art of Impact. And the competition is named after and judged by Ger Fritz. In an interview with RNW Media, Poet Steric said, people are story machines, and we're busy making and remaking our story. What the Lonely Funeral does is return stories. That's beautiful. One of the poems, for instance, um, read at an unknown man's funeral, was this. Farewell, sir. Without papers, without identity, what were you looking for? How much did you lose along the way? Wow, that's a bit heavy. Yeah, I told you. I told you I should have gone first. So, are there any fart jokes in here at all? Because I could, could really use a good fart joke right now. Nope. Keep in mind, all of the poems that that I'm referencing have been translated. I mean, they're it's they're they're not written in English. You might lose some of the impact. Right. Okay. Though that one I think is beautiful and amazing. Pretty and, impactful. You know, yeah. The originator, Droog, has referred to the poetry tributes as being a social task of the poet. According to blogger Christine Rowe, he's wondered whether his interest in mysterious deaths stem from the fate of his uncle Nick, who was never found after his time in a concentration camp during World War II. Each death, he said, has its own story, and Nick's has gone untold. But the question that's raised through this project and through these, these people who have volunteered their time and their energy and sometimes their money for, for these funerals called lonely funerals is how much can you ever really know about a person? That's, that's an excellent point. 
and even sometimes the things that we can build a profile about someone, a stranger, a lonely person, um, seem more rounded than the things that we can end up pulling from the people that we're supposed to know the best. That's that's heavy. So one of the the places where I found information about this is Plowshares Blogspot, and that spoke to the information civil servants are able to find about those who are given a lonely funeral, and how that little information might lead to the choices made for it. So one poet looked for Nigerian mourning music to play at a Nigerian immigrant's funeral. Another reported that a man who had died of a drug overdose was buried to the song Everybody Hurts by R.E.M. Oh, that song makes me weep anyway. I know. Okay. Everybody hurts sometime, sometime. Anyway. So as I mentioned, each year um, there is a competition for the, the best lonely funeral poem, which uh, seems like it's a magical thing to be involved in, but also a weird thing to award prizes for. Yeah. In 2016, the winner of the Gerfritz Prize was Meno Wigman for his poem, Gestrip Gedicht, which I don't think I said very well at all, but it translates to stripped poem. And when the house is finished, death arrives. Those words, read long ago, knows where. Once haunted my thoughts for days. I had moved, kept painting. The work completed, death stayed away. You too moved into a brand new house. The floors, people said, you left bare. The walls remained unstripped. Only the bedroom was used. There you withdrew further into yourself. The house remained unfinished. Even so, the end came, and you were a human being, lived unimpeded. Who could have painted your walls? Who could have given you words, warmth, light, thinly veiled shame? This stripped poem. That poem was prepared for a man only referred to as G.M., who lived from 1942 to 2016, who was born in an Italian village and died in an Amsterdam hospital. And when they found his home in Amsterdam, it was completely bare every single room Mm. completely bare unadorned except for one bedroom which is apparently the only place in that house where he lived wow um much of this i got from rnw media and from the plowshares blogspot um which is also where i discovered there is a little bit of a discrepancy about who really started the lonely funeral poems Bart F.M. Droog, of course, uh, was referenced in the Plowshares blog spot as being the one who started. Right. But RNW Media um, cites that Frank Sterick, the man who joined um, civil servant Ger Fritz for those lonely funerals as the one who originated the, the, the lonely funeral poems. Sterick says that the poem is first and foremost for the deceased. He says that he is not a religious man, nor is Ger Fritz, but he feels that the funeral is a moment of reckoning and, quote, your time at heaven's gate and that someone needs to put in a good word for you. That's that's really beautiful. And I am so glad that there are people that are out there doing that for 
people who, who don't have anyone. They're giving them a dignified send-off, but it is terribly depressing. I think we should start a movement to make funerals fun. You know, I talked about how when I die, I want my body propped up on a dunk tank booth right above the grave and then pass out softballs. And that's how, you know, right. you just, you know, hit the paddle and dunk me yeah. into, into the uh, into the grave. Sure. That won't happen. But uh, yeah, it's a nice thought. But we could do things like um, to make it more fun and, nope. and to draw people. You could have um, to draw people. Draw people. Well, you you know they're, they're lonely funerals. They need people there so that they're not lonely. So what you do is uh, you have no cover at the door. Sure. You have like beer taps on the casket, so people can come by and have a cold one with a cold one. You could actually fill the the coffin with ice. And, you know, put beer in, in like shrimp, like little like shrimps. Like a cooler? Like a cooler. Yeah. That way you wouldn't have, have to pay the money to embalm them. You could just fill it with ice and jumbo shrimp. Now, just hear me out. And then you take the cocktail sauce and you just put it like in a bowl and put it in the guy's mouth. Mm-hmm. And then people can come by and dip the, you know, pay their respects, have a bite to eat, a cold beer, and maybe have some clowns passing out balloons. That'd be fun. Because that'll draw people? Clowns? Sure. People love clowns and balloons. It says carnival. But you know, like like for me, for instance, I don't like clowns or balloons. So uh, do you not want me at this funeral? I also don't eat shrimp. You don't want me to come to this funeral. But there's beer. All right. It'll be quality craft beer too. All right, I'm there. On tap. There's all sorts of things we can do to make a film. We could have raffles, maybe bingo, some prizes, win some stuffed animals, you know, that sort of thing. Sure. And that way it wouldn't have to be a lonely funeral. You could still do your palm after everybody gets a, a beer and some shrimp. That might be a weird juxtaposition. Maybe do the palm first. Sure. Yeah, get that out of the way. Yeah. And then party. Who then loved you? In which rooms did you sleep? Who kissed you goodnight? Who will wear out your shirt? Who will want to stand where you once stood? Who now takes the road you took? Hey, Marty, jumbo shrimp. Nice. See, that would be mm-hmm. the logical progression, I would think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think we're on to something. They, they have the lonely funerals. We could call ours not lonely funerals. Oh, that's a very creative name you've come up with just Thanks. now. Thanks. I'm just, I'm just trying to build on an idea here. I, I see franchising opportunities. Curator at theboxofoddities.com. You can reach out to us. We love hearing from you. Uh, Also, all of the social media. Goodreads, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. So that's our show. Uh, We're going to have to wrap it up now because the air conditioning's been off for about, I don't know, half an hour. And I am roasting right now. (laughs) No, I think we should talk longer. No, let's not talk longer. (laughs) Let's turn the air conditioning. Let's come up with more fun ideas for funerals. (laughs) Just totally ruined Kat's thing. I'm going to hear about this. I'll tell you what. If you see your way to uh, forgive me for interrupting you and cutting your your story short, Mm -hmm. um, I will give you a box of dildos. No, thank you. (laughs) They could be worth money someday. I bet. You are an entrepreneur. I am. Yeah. In this chest beats the heart 
of an entrepreneur. All right. So uh, one of our friends and freaks wearing a box of oddities t-shirt with his new kitten. Nice. And uh, I just about died. You almost pooped a little bit like Willie did when he saw the baby goat. Anyway, send us your pictures. The Box of Oddities, twice a week. Don't forget, oh, and if you'd like to get your Box of Oddities t-shirt, you can uh, go to theboxofoddities.com and click on the merch link. There's all kinds of stuff there that you might want to pick up. Congratulations, by the way, to Brad, who won his Box of Oddities t-shirt through that contest that we were running uh, over the last couple weeks. Yay, Brad! On our social media pages. So if you sign up there, if you just, you know, like us or follow us, then you have a chance to win stuff, too. So there you have it. The Box of Oddities, twice a week. We'll see you on Monday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly. And so... Let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those I report to, to beseech you for assistance. The Box of Oddities is free. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.